Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual, with your host, Lachelle Lowe-Chardet, founder of Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and Wiseheart PDX. Hello and welcome. Thank you for taking the time today to dedicate your attention and your energy to making life more wonderful for yourself and for others. Today I'd like to continue with the four fruits of mindful compassionate dialogue. Last time, or I should say in another podcast, we talked about mindful engagement. So when I say four fruits, I mean four results of your practice that when we are practicing mm, the nine foundations a life-serving intention and the 12 relationship competencies we naturally find ourselves expressing one or more of the four fruits which include mindful engagement compassionate relating access to agency and wise action Okay, so today I want to talk about compassionate relating. I want to dive into what we mean by compassion. I want to give you a key for balancing your attention. And I want to talk a little bit about compassion fatigue is a term that we've maybe heard before. Or how compassion might slip into despair and how we might catch that. And use this skill of balancing attention to, to keep our practice strong, really. To keep our practice strong and vibrant and inspiring. Okay, let's jump into compassion. So compassion, in the way I'm offering it, means that you're becoming bigger than the suffering you witness and you're directing caring attention toward it by offering prayers, well wishes, or taking action for relief and freedom from suffering. So compassion has specifically suffering as a part of its focus, distinct from loving kindness, which doesn't have a specific object in the same way. We could say that compassion is an antidote for apathy and judgment and anger with regards to suffering and blame, right? And the opposite of compassion is cruelty. That sense of judging, disrespect, condescension, contempt, Those are some of the things on the way to cruelty, apathy. The voices of cruelty include things like, I deserve what I got, or that person deserved what's coming to them. Any concept of deserve serves them right. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be locked away for good. Phrases like that mean... We have lost our way. 
or the person saying them has lost their way, has lost contact with their own heart and a sense of compassion for suffering. Compassion is also, we're going to get to this later, but compassion is also the help we have when we're trying to practice equanimity, but that equanimity slips into indifference. Then we look to compassion to help us find our heart again. I want to name four abilities or doorways to compassion, that when we're in one of these four, compassion arises naturally. It's our natural state. But it especially is easy to find when we enter one shared humanity, when we remember, oh, just like me, that person wants to be happy. Ah, just like me, that person wants to contribute meaningfully. That person has feelings and needs. Two, when we have an ability to grieve. An ability to grieve the suffering we see keeps our heart open and allows that compassion to flow. We feel the grief, we enter mourning rather than resisting the suffering. And resistance we already named comes in many forms, all leading to cruelty such as judgment, anger, attempts to justify mentally, things like this. Third, acceptance. When we choose to observe and be with things as they are, and we trust ourselves to stay regulated in the face of suffering, we can accept what's happening. And when I say accept, I don't mean approve of or become passive. To me, that's a very different thing. Accept means I'm willing to just look things in the face, just see them as clearly as I possibly can. Without resistance, without judgment. And that acceptance as things as they are allows me then to act with compassion to change them perhaps, right? Or to offer a remedy or to offer support. And the last one is trust. Without some sort of taking refuge in a benevolent power, in the vibrancy of life, in something greater than what we can perceive and understand, it's easy to lose our way without those things. So there's some sort of trust in something greater. That trust, that faith, is an incredible resource that keeps you from slipping into hopelessness and despair. And those four combined create a very solid foundation for compassion to arise. Okay. We have some phrases that are common with compassion that I'll read at the end for you. So when we focus more than we have the resources to do on the suffering of our own suffering or of others, then 
we need we fall into despair or sometimes phrased as compassion fatigue and we need to balance our attention and one of my favorite buddhist teachings is a teaching about how to balance your attention and so the sutta goes and the buddha said you can balance your mind in one of these four ways. Compassion, sympathetic joy, loving kindness, and equanimity. And they work together, those four practices, such that when compassion slips into despair, we turn towards sympathetic joy. We look for something to celebrate in someone else, who can we cheerlead, can we celebrate with a person that is having success in expressing their values and living with, well, in the, in the sutta it says living with virtue. Virtue is a funny word these days, but living from their values is what it means. How can we enter into that celebration of what is life serving around us? And then it goes around the circle from there. If sympathetic joy becomes superficial and kind of moves into party mind, then we move into loving kindness and focus on that centering power of love and care. And if loving kindness moves into loving attachment, we lose our way and become attached and we confuse that with love, then we move to the practice of equanimity. Seeing each thing just as, as it is, neither pushing away nor pulling towards. Being finding our still point inside and sitting over that still point. If equanimity slides into indifference and we really lose our connection with life, then we find ourselves turning towards compassion. So those are called the four Brahma-Viharas or the four divine abidings or divine abodes. Whenever you're wondering, what could you do with your mind right now? You could think about the Netflix series that you're watching, <laughs> right? You could fo focus on the news that you read today or you could enter into one of these four abodes compassion, sympathetic joy, loving kindness, and equanimity. Okay. And so one of the important things about compassion is that it's continuously working both directions. You're having as much compassion for yourself as you are for others. So that means really attending to what are those signs that compassion has slipped into despair. So I'll offer a few of those and maybe as I name them, you can identify, ah, what's the most obvious symptom for you that you've entered into despair? Despair has a sense of numbness or heaviness. Mm. 
There's a lack of energy, a lack of inspiration to serve or to help. There might be a sense of being lost or empty. You might find yourself making cynical comments about the fate of the world. You might question the meaning of your life and whether life has any meaning at all. So these are the symptoms of despair. I invite you to really notice for yourself, did any of those resonate? Or is there something in particular that you would identify for yourself that's a clear symptom of despair? And so when you identify that despair, then like we talked about, you can move towards celebration. Finding something beautiful happening in the world to celebrate. There's some good news things out there, right? Or just simple things like, um, you know, a neighbor who stops to say hi and smile at you. Or you see a parent in the grocery store being loving with their child. Or you see someone playing with their dog. People just living from joy. These are things that could be celebrated. Or in nature, right? The beauty of spring colors, the beauty of autumn leaves, the beauty of a sunset. Celebrating the beauty of our natural world could be an example of sympathetic joy. Also, taking action is so helpful for countering despair, being of service and taking action. I remember many years ago, I saw a photo in a magazine or something, and it was a Mexican forest worker in Mexico, and there had been an unusual frost that was killing the monarch butterflies who stop at a certain place in their migration. And he was picking up each butterfly and blowing warm breath, warming up each butterfly at a time. Wow. To me, that's an incredible example of someone who has a lot of compassion and is taking action from that compassion. And it doesn't have to be rational, right? Like the starfish on the beach. And that little saying, it's from a poem or something, right? There's thousands of starfish that have washed on the beach for whatever reason, a storm, and someone's throwing them back. And a person says, you'll never throw them all back. There's too many. It doesn't matter. And the person says, it matters to this starfish. Right? That's that doorway to compassion. We don't always have to understand rationally. We find that resonance in our heart to act with compassion. And we trust it. That's an important piece, an essential piece. And so in the nitty-gritty of your relationships, there's this willingness with compassion to remember where someone comes from when you're frustrated or angry or reactive 
or triggered by something they've done. To take a moment and say, okay, what do I know about this person's life struggles? What do I know about how they've been hurt or had pain in their life? And the thing they did, was that really them or was there a, that a part of them that was hurting or insecure or angry in the moment? Slowing down and allowing a moment of connection through suffering, right? That's another way we could say, what is compassion? Connection through suffering. And just for a moment, letting your attention rest there until you feel yourself soften and open. Compassion doesn't mean approving, right? Just like empathy. Having compassion for someone when they've done something that didn't mean needs of yours doesn't mean you don't set a boundary, you don't end a relationship. Completely the opposite is true, right? When you've really softened into, ah, there's a whole person there. And the way they behaved with me doesn't work for me. And I'm going to set boundaries so that doesn't happen again. It's from that compassion that you set the most effective boundary with that person. When reactivity sets a boundary... It's unlikely that there's skill there, understanding of really what's needed in that situation. So having compassion for someone who did something that didn't work for you also opens the door to wisdom. They all work together, of course, right? They're friends. (laughs) And if the door to compassion doesn't open for you, then you probably need more self-compassion, right? Taking time with how something was painful for you, right? Just the willingness to say to yourself, oh, this is really hard. And breathing and softening. This is hard. I'm suffering right now. It's painful. Not so easy to be a human being. Right? Allowing all that. We're really taking the time until you feel your whole body soften with that compassion for yourself. Hmm. Noticing your experience every moment. This is hard. My heart hurts. My mind races. I notice I have wishes for revenge or to hide myself away, right? Just naming it all for yourself. Taking time. And as you name it, in a warm yet somewhat neutral tone, you're bringing that compassionate inner witness on board. So that's the very different from feeling sorry for yourself, which is a thing that we're often preached, don't feel sorry for yourself. 
I think what what that's really for referring to is when we're feeling sorry for ourselves and making ourselves the victim, there's usually blame. That person shouldn't have, they should have talked to me directly or they shouldn't have said something like that, right? There's usually the other side of blame. Internal blame, external blame. Internal blame, external blame. Guilt, shame, and blame. They go together too. So compassionate witnessing of your suffering doesn't have any of that. It's just that simple naming of your experience with warmth, with warmth and acceptance. And when you consistently do that for yourself, your capacity to offer that for others also increases. If you see something in someone else that you haven't yet been able to be kind and loving with in yourself, there's a good chance you're going to meet that with judgment and anger in the other person. So that self-compassion practice is essential as well. Hmm. Thank you for listening today. I want to read you these phrases. So when we say wishes, part of offering compassion is offering wishes or prayers. Here are some ideas for how they might be phrased. And of course, a wish or a prayer may not have any words. It may be mm, sending energy or seeing an image or seeing someone surrounded in a peaceful bubble right? It could manifest a lot of different ways. So phrases is just one way. I'm going to offer you these now. Take a moment to relax and open your heart. And I invite you to let these enter you as a wish for you, the person listening, if you're willing. May you live with ease and in safety, free from physical affliction. May you live with ease, free from physical suffering. May you open to physical suffering with courage, caring, and kindness. May you live with ease, free from mental anguish. May you open to mental suffering with courage, caring, and kindness. May you live with ease, free from suffering and the roots of suffering. Thanks again for being here today. Radiating love from my heart to yours. You can learn more about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and find free resources, live offerings, and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org.
You can also connect with WiseHeart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.